Somebody asked me about the little diagram I did of, uh, of Egypt and the, prom- Egypt and the wilderness. Um, connection, you know, when, when Moses went back to connect with God's people in Egypt, um, it was because he identified with their suffering. Um, and that's what got him into trouble in the first place. He tried to fix it by killing the, the uh, slave driver and had to, he had to spend his own time in the wilderness to, to kind of let God be God. But uh, Moses comes back and he connects with the people and then he leads them um, out through the, the Red Sea. And I, I kind of use that as a metaphor of bringing people through that, that valley of their pain um, and suffering and to get them out into their own wilderness where they can hear from God and hear from you. Um, in the wilderness, Moses gave them direction. They had the pillar of fire by uh, night and the cloud by day. And then Moses went on Mount Sinai and got the, the law. And so during the time that people are with you, they're in their wilderness, and you can help get them beyond connection and confession into some time of course correction. But eventually what you want is for them to be empowered to engage their life um, as a victorious believer, to enter into their own promised land, whatever, whatever the issue is, for them to, to step aside that boundary to face the giants in their land, to trust God in a fresh way, to um, claim the territory that God wants for them to claim on the earth in their relationships, in their finances, in their health, um, so that we're, we're actually hoping to bring people from bondage to freedom through this, this process of connection, confession, course correction, and conviction. Does that make sense? Okay, cool. Well, um, any, let's see, I've got a couple of, of questions here. If someone brings you their concerns or problems after listening, they want feedback and you don't have anything, is it okay to ask for time to process the information or see if it's okay to get feedback from someone else without disclosing who that person is? Certainly there are times when someone is going to present something to you that you have no clue how to, um, how to direct them. And, and one, of the, one of the cool things is how will you model your own inadequacy to that person. Because if you, go, if you feel apologetic about it, like you should have all the answers, then that gives them a message that when they feel inadequate in their life, they've got to feel apologetic or they've got to feel bad. What you want to be able to do is to be, you're inviting them to be transparent with you. So share the wealth, right? Be a little transparent. Say, you know what? I have no idea what you should do here. This is a really tough situation, isn't it? You know, I, I have no idea what the next step is. And, and Job's friends would have done a lot better if they'd done that with Job. Like, I have no idea what to make of your suffering. But because they felt compelled to have something to say, they said a lot of hooey, right? They just said a lot of stuff that, that made God pretty mad. And so if we feel on the spot, we're going to come up with stuff that really is going to make it worse instead of better. So, but, but the other thing that's cool is, in the question is... Um, can I ask for help? And of course, you know, if, if you're a lay counselor here and somebody presents you with something, it's perfectly respe- respectable for you to say, hey, you know what, we have supervision tomorrow and I'll ask Dr. Looney for his input on this, if that's okay with you. Nothing wrong with that. You're modeling to them what you're asking them to do. You're asking them to be open to direction. Are you the same? And when we look at this developmental model later, we'll see that parents if they want their children to respond to their authority, need to model that they are also responsive to authority, that they're seeking counsel that they can then pass on to their children. So, yeah, great question. The gap. In my relationship with Jesus, it seems that the so-called negative emotions, sadness, uh, anger, and fear, are the ones that are God-given to live in a fallen world. 
because Jesus himself wept. He experienced sadness. He got angry when he drove the money changers out of the temple. He experienced uh, fear about praying that he not have to drink the cup of suffering that was being offered in the cross. Um, He said, you know, if there's any other choice, I want something other than this, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours. So anger, not rage, sadness, not despair, fear, not paranoia or, uh, uh, or worry or being frozen by fear. These are all a, a part of living in the gap. Negative feelings are God's way of getting our attention, getting us to the place where we can take action that needs to be taken, where we can adjust our attitude or our behavior to bring it in line with what he desires for us. As a doctor, I know that if people don't feel pain, if they don't feel negative feelings, they're in trouble. Um, the, I read a book uh, by uh, Di- Dr. Paul Brand. Anybody ever hear, hear of Dr. Brand? Amazing guy. I got to meet him several years ago before he passed away. But he worked as a missionary in, in uh, India and worked with uh, lepers for many years. And what he found was that the, the reason for so much loss of uh, limb and health with lepers was because the, the, one of the cardinal features of the disease is that you lose pain sensation. And so people with leprosy would step on a thorn, for instance, or uh, stub their toe or smash their finger, and they wouldn't feel anything, so they wouldn't do anything about it. And there would be an infection, there would be uh, loss of tissue, and eventually many of these people would lose a foot or a hand or a leg or their nose. Because they didn't feel pain, they didn't take appropriate action. In our life with God, pain is often a signal that we need assistance. We need to reach out for comfort. We need to reach out for help. We need a course correction. We need a greater sense of conviction to move us beyond our suffering into the next thing. Um, Jesus, again, was acquainted with suffering. And so pain and sorrow, um, even our uh, anger and fear. The, the, interestingly enough, the, the emotion, aside from love, that is most often ascribed to God in Scripture is anger. So anger is not a, uh, an emotion that is not godly. But there is such thing as, um, there's, there is godly anger, but there's also the anger of man, which we know is, does not work God's will. So we'll talk a lot more about that later on. Okay, um, just a few more things about, um, about this model that, um, that I want to, well, I'll tell you what, let's do this. Yeah, let's, um, we have a video that um, it's, for, it's a song that many of you are very familiar with, but, um, but I think it's, it'll just help to kind of uh, reinforce some of what we've been talking about. And then I'll make a few other comments and wrap up, and we'll uh, turn the, the time over to uh, Dr. Butler. So uh, sit back and enjoy the video. This is where the healing begins. Oh. Um, yeah, this is where the healing begins. Um, the, the thing I love about that song um, and the video, too, is that, that it demonstrates so powerfully how it is in those moments of darkness that healing can start. And so often we find that God conspires to bring us back to our point of pain, to bring us back to our deepest fear that we can be free. 
God would rather you um, face your, the darkness in your soul and even do like the prodigal son and go just throw yourself into insanity rather than live your life inauthentically, rather than live wishing that you could do this or that. God wants you so badly to be free that He's willing to go with you to the darkest places. He is willing to be with you. Um, the, the psalmist says, if I go to heaven, you are there. If I descend into the depths of Sheol, into hell itself, you will be there. There is nowhere I can run from your presence. And for those of you who have been there and done that, who know that God will not forsake you or leave you, even in your darkest moments, or those who are equipped to be with people in that moment and to know that in that moment, God is there. The truth is, nothing needs to change for any of us in this room right now for us to have peace with God. Nothing has to change. Your circumstance can remain exactly as it is right now. And you can choose to reach out to let the peace of Christ rule and reign in your heart. And you go, but, 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 but what about my child? What about, what about my addiction? What about my struggle with fear? What about, but in this moment, you can have peace with God right now, if you reach out to him. And having peace with God is so vital because having the presence of someone who is calm and caring is so much of what allows people to to transform. To be with someone who is unafraid to go with them to that dark place, to open up the closet, to pull the stuff out, to look under the bed, to shine a light. You can be that person who knows that in any moment... God is ready to meet you. Now, it's a, it's a discipline to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. It's a discipline for us to live in that peace. Some of us had it for a little window of time when we first came to God, when we first experienced freedom from our past, from our sin. But it creeps back in. We start thinking that as long as I've been walking with God, I should have it together. I should be at a different place. I should be doing better than I'm doing. And we we feel that tension again between what we feel we ought to be and where we are. But in the moment that we remember, oh yes, it isn't me, it's him. It's not my work, but his finished work. We re-engage grace and we let the peace of Christ rule and reign in our hearts. We're going to um, present after lunch a model of development that will look at the progression of of a child from infancy, from birth to maturity. And we're going to look at the tasks of development along the way. And I think you'll be delighted to see how they correlate with these tasks of these sort of goals of counseling, with connection, confession, course correction, and conviction. Um, And later on, we'll apply that same developmental model to parenting, um, to marriage, and to addictions and recovery. Um, if, 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 if I have my druthers, all of you will really sink your teeth in this model and really gain a lot from it. Um, in a few minutes, Carrie's going to come up and talk about the use of early memories in childhood. And um, the idea is that, that um, in our earliest experiences, we often, be, uh, we often learn to deal with relationships, deal with pain, deal with suffering in, in certain ways based on those early memories. 
We, we may see the world as a very safe place and a very loving place, or we may see it as very hostile and adverse. Um, we may experience relationships as very comforting or very threatening. We may experience our own ability to accomplish things in a very profound way through those early memories, or we may have experienced so much helplessness or, um, or resistance to our, our efforts that we, find, we, we begin to see ourselves as helpless and hopeless. Um, so, so what we found is that very often, going back to these early times of life, we can, get a, we can help people see what some of their deepest, uh, belie- deeply held beliefs about God, about others, about themselves are. And it allows us to begin to sort of conceptualize or be curious with them about what God may want to do to move them beyond those early, um, early beliefs. Um, some of those beliefs may actually be helpful, um, but some of them may really hinder the work of God in them. Um, before we uh, have Carrie come up, um, we've talked about being an instrument of peace, and um, that to be an instrument of God's grace, you have to, to, for God to play the music of heaven, you have to live in the gap with grace, managing the tension between the real and the ideal. Um, to be able to embrace your humanity while holding on to your identity in Christ. To hold with all your might the outstretched hand of Jesus while reaching out a hand to a hurting and troubled world. And sometimes it's, it's almost unbearable. You feel like you're being torn in two, living in that tension. But if, you, if you're willing to hang in there and to submit and surrender to God, to um, allow not only for... Um, for you to care for others, but to allow God to care for you, then you'll begin to see, um, see more and more beauty, more and more healing occur. Um, remember that, you're, that even if you do everything in your power to get the strings in tune, we are, we are utterly helpless to play the instrument. We depend on God. Um, but it is important for us to keep the, the instrument in tune. And there's a, I believe you have a handout called uh, Take Time to Tune. Is there one in there? See, I don't know if they, do they have that one in there. It may be toward the back. Yeah, it's like, uh, it's toward the end, maybe next to the last three pages in. Take time to tune. Okay. Um, it says you are a vessel of grace. You're an instrument of grace. You've invited, been invited to join the dance of heaven. But if you want to be useful in God's hands and want your life to inspire others to dance, you need to tune your instrument. Um, your challenge and encouragement to others may ring hollow if you're not honoring God first in your life. Some of you um, are very compassionate and caring per- people. Some of you are compassionate and caring to a fault. In fact, you'd rather care for somebody else than care for yourself. I know you're out there. <laughs> um, but if I have anything to say about it, I'm going to encourage you to remember that the first command is loving God with your whole heart soul, mind, and strength. And when you love God, you know what? You're going to take care of yourself. It's just like a child who loves the parent. The child is going to brush his teeth because the parent says, go brush your teeth. If the child loves the parent, the, parent, the child is going to keep his room clean because the parent says, clean your room. And the more you love God, the more you're going to take time to take care of yourself. Because if you don't, your life is not going to be as full of joy and peace, and energy, and excitement as it can be. And do you really want to invite someone to experience what you're experiencing with God? 
if you're not experiencing joy and love and peace, if you're not experiencing that sense of rest in Him that comes from taking care of yourself. Um, I'm not going to spend much time on this, but I do want to draw your attention to it. Um, we'll, we'll come back to this either later today or, or next week. But um, as you go through this process of uh, bridging the gap, I want to stress that many of the tools that we're going to be offering people as we meet with them as counselors, we need to be taking advantage of. If you're going to encourage someone to exercise because you know it's going to help with their depression or their anxiety, it's going to ring a little hollow if you'd never exercise. Um, if, you, you know, if you encourage them to uh, get a checkup uh, with their doctor because they may have a thyroid problem that's, that's making them depressed, um, or they may have, you know, they're afraid they've got cancer but they won't go to the doctor. If you're not taking care of your temple, of your body, then again, it's difficult to invite someone to share a space that you haven't claimed. You know, you, if you want to pass on um, hope and healing, then you need to engage it yourself. So um, you might just look at that. Uh, some of you are very good about nutrition, supplements. Journaling is one of the things that I am most committed to. Uh, the Socrates, I believe, said the unexamined life is not worth living. And journaling or writing your, you know, keeping a prayer journal, writing down the things that you see, that feel, that you learn, um, is one of the greatest ways to grow. And so just want to encourage you to journal, take time for fun. Second page, take time for rest. I believe that even before the fall, God wanted man to experience rest. And if you don't see rest as a part of your worship to God, then you are missing out. Because the Sabbath was the holy day. Six days of work is not, that's not God's, that's your deal. And he wants you to work. He wants you to be productive. But his deal is for you to rest. That's what honors him as God in your life, that you recognize that your working, your fingers to the bone, is not what's going to accomplish his purpose. It's your resting in him. And many of the people that you meet with need to be invited to enter into rest. Take time for faith, for growth, accountability, support, creative expression, helping others, important relationships, purpose. Look at this later. We may not have time to go over it in depth together, but I give this handout or something similar to this to virtually everyone I meet with because I know that if you take time to tune, if you keep yourself in a good place, the handout I use at my, at my office is called Bless Your Brain uh, because these things will bless your brain. They'll bless your brain and your body and keep you in a place where you can experience the greatest fulfillment in your life. Okay, um, anything that's burning question or comment before we take a, just a, like a mini break t- uh, to invite Carrie to come up here? Okay, if you don't need a break, don't take it. Just share with the group about um, some of what you're learning or take a minute to look at this Take Time to Tune handout. Um, she's going to come up in just a moment and I'll introduce her and we'll move into the um, early childhood recollections. Let's uh, end our session with prayer.